to all the lovers of the strange. The sky watchers of the night. Hello, citizens, and welcome to Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm here with my favorite people today. Maureen Ellsbury, Ryan Sprague, Shane Hurd, and I are all here for our monthly UFO happy hour. Thanks for hanging out with us. And guys, you know, I, I don't say it enough, but I really do appreciate you guys making the time. And I look forward to our monthly happy hour hangouts. Thanks for being here, guys. Got it. Of course. Well, the whole point of these is for us to get together and kind of look back at the stories that have made some headlines in uh, the specific month. And we're at the end of February here as we're recording this. So as there always are, there are a lot of UFO-related stories that happen this month. And so I guess looking back, let's start at one that probably made the the biggest buzz and, and the most headlines, and certainly in the UFO community, and that was uh, about... UFO debris and allegations that, here we go again, the Pentagon admitted to us that they have UFO debris. So Shane, you want to tell us about this story? Yeah, there's a UFO researcher by the name of Anthony Brugalia, and he posted a, an article recently that was pretty sensational, at least the headline on it, and that was, Pentagon admits it has UFO debris releases test results. And this was based on a FOIA article that he had submitted, or a FOIA request in um, 2017. And he got the information back. And let me just give you an excerpt from the beginning of the article. It says, a stunning admission by the U.S. government that it possesses UFO debris was recently made in response to a Freedom of Information Act request filed over three years ago by this author. In a reply letter, the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency has ended decades of speculation by verifying that UFO material has indeed been recovered. However, his interpretation goes in to tie in the Roswell crash, its debris, as well as uh, Robert Bigelow, um, you know, OSAP and ATIP, all of those organizations. And um, he did receive some pretty interesting stuff, though. He, he got... Uh, technical reports, five of them, called DIRDs, and those have been actually the subject of discussion for a while. Allegedly, there's like 38 of them. Uh, they're supposed to exist, and many feel that they're related directly to UFO recovery and, and the, the debris and the scientific you know analysis of that. Um, and five were returned in this one. Uh, one was about metallic glass, another biomaterials, another materials for advanced aerospace platforms, uh, metallic spintronics, and metamaterials for aerospace applications. However, there's already controversy regarding that interpretation, um, that it's an admission by the DOD and that this is related to UFO or UAP at all. Rather, the argument is that they're related specifically to the AAWSA program. Uh, not Roswell, not UAP, not UFOs, just simply advanced aerospace technology. And the primary objection right. comes from John Greenwald of the blackvault.com. 
I think we all know John's a highly experienced uh, FOIA requester, and he feels that the most important part of it, the DIRDS, is being ignored because of the sensationalistic implications of it being directly related to UFOs or UAP. And so um, they kind of had a little bit of an exchange. John uh, did a little video kind of talking about that point. And then Anthony came back with uh, some comments. I'll just read these two tweets. Uh, first one is by Anthony. He said, I wish you had let me know that you're going to do a video critique of my article. I would have been able to respond point by point. You are misleading viewers by having them believe that the DIA was responding to anything other than a very specific, unambiguous request for test results on UAP and UFO material held by Bigelow Aerospace. The reply from the DIA was to provide me technical reports on extraordinary materials. No matter what you're implying, it seems that the context in which I received the documents was in direct response to requests for information derived from recovered UFO debris and the testing of potentially extraterrestrial material. You naively assume that such reports would actually reference aliens, Roswell, etc. It has not worked that way, and your thinking that these technical reports would discuss such things in such a way shows that you do not have a true grasp of material science and engineering studies. My request for documents were for the aerospace, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, but there's deliberate obfuscation and purposeful confusion coming from the DIA. The program operated earlier under another name, uh, and that was AAWSA, and the documents are stamped with this program rather than ATIP. This allows the DIA to claim the studies related to an advanced military weapons program for defense rather than to an aero program identifying possible threats from outer space and the associated retrieval of flying saucer material. I've contacted two of the scientist authors, and what they say will be reported on in a future article. This was not a mistake on the part of the DIA and provided me with those reports. So here's John's response. Actually, I did not feel a need to contact you. You published your FOIA request and the FOIA response in full. That was all I needed. I specifically addressed your FOIA and the fact that your line item number five likely triggered them to have the five responsive documents they did. Nothing else. I've worked with the DIA for FOIA uh, for nearly 25 years and have learned how they respond to requests which echoes that of many FOIA offices. The reports were close to your item five and they were given an unclassified or for official use only stamps. They release them to address your line item. For you to imply that any of that is connected to UAP debris is misleading at best. In addition, there are many things in your article I did not address as a courtesy that I wasn't trying to attack you, rather to address the FOIA material. However, for you to have an entire section about how reports had been released before and how you were confused on why they would redact the names, you again, yet again, is misleading and factually incorrect. You failed to inform your readers that those were unauthorized leaks of FOUO material. They were never officially released, so your entire section with your accusation is also wrong there. Plain and simple, not a single page of your release has anything to do with UAPs, UFOs, aliens, or fairies. They coincide with what OSAP was about, 
and to have a headline with the content such as yours is entirely misleading and does this field zero favors. There are other factual errors in your article which I would recommend you bet again. I'm not here to attack you, but rather to put the FOIA documents in the proper context. I'm sorry to say your article did not. You had a story with what you got, meaning the dirds, but tainted the importance as it's now overshadowed by speculation and false claim. That's not my opinion, but rather a fact that the documents that you show do not violate a single claim of your UFO crash debris and analysis claims. I stand by my video. So I'm certain there's going to be more to this story as time goes by, but imagine that controversy with UFO information. But I think we've all seen the tendency to sensationalize stuff and it's something we constantly have to battle. So, um, but, you know, given nothing's ever black and white with UFOs, I'm sure, you know, we're going to have to hear more and it's left up to us to, you know, form our opinion until that gets sorted from fiction, you know? Yeah, yeah the claws are out. <laughs> claws are out. No, yeah. but I, you know, this is tough because like, you know, everyone likes a, a good drama like exchange and they're both telling each other that they're both being misleading, which is hard because, you know, yeah. uh, Brigalia got some really interesting stuff that's never been made public before, which is awesome. But the issue being it has nothing to do with UAP as far as we know. Um, I understand why he would assume that if he did put a request in for information on UAP material, and this is what they gave him, I could see why his brain would go that way. But then to put out an article with a headline saying the government studying the material at Roswell, like there is a huge gap between those two. You cannot connect those dots so simply. So, I mean, calling John misleading is extremely hypocritical in this sense. Um, and John can be harsh. And, you know, a lot of people hate him for that. But I think the videos he put out were very clear, very concise. And he spoke to Hal Putoff, the guy who actually put, you know, the requests for those dirds in. So that's really important, too. We know who filed the original dirds and everything. So, yeah, that's that's my take on it. I think it's like you said, there's no black and white on this, but his headline was extremely misleading. And of course, that's what all the sensational newspapers and news sites were picking up on and mm -hmm. that does not do our field any service no and you, you have to know that and especially you know a lot of us have backgrounds in journalism of that just screams that you were trying to a put false narrative out there just claiming those views basically like i know if i write it like this this is going to be picked up and go viral um and again like you said it's it's a disservice um, we need to be very blatant with with facts and research and also put in objectivity into everything. Otherwise, it just comes off as another crazy UFO researcher throwing out some some information and it shadows, like you said, the the importance and the coolness of the dirds and and uh, the material that that uh, was given to him from this FOIA request. It's it's really just that one mistake you make that can carry and, and sensationalize that so much. And so that's unfortunate. Um, and we, we all just need to do our due diligence. And I do appreciate John's response. I think he was, was, uh, was kind. 
yeah, so to speak, for John. In, in how he did it, how he went about it for John. Yeah. So we'll see. But yeah, like you said, it's it's not the end of this this debate. And I think this this plays into a lot of other things going on in the field right now, too, um, that we'll touch on later as well. But I think, uh, you know, John's response and insight into this particular instance instance is extremely valuable because of John's background, John's intimate knowledge with this process. And I encourage people to go on the Black Vault and read the article that John wrote about this or watch on his YouTube channel the explanation that he provides because he does explain uh, very convincingly and, uh, you know, responsibly the, the reason why there would be the type of response that Anthony did get. Uh, specific wording, specific um, expedited requests that would merit the response that was given. Um, And another big problem I have with the the assumptions being made here are the problems that I I have with a lot of people. I think there's this this weird thing that's accepted um, in some parts of the UFO research community, and that is this, this just acceptance of reading between the lines like that's an actual thing or that that actually works in a scientific study like we can't go down that that line of thinking of saying well we didn't we didn't get the answer we wanted so we'll pretend that we did by reading between the lines because that's where all the real information is it's just it's ridiculous and like you said it, it just makes the whole thing seem ridiculous and it muddies anything possibly interesting that was generated from those requests. Like you said, it, it, it shifts the attention somewhere else where the attention doesn't belong. And I mean, for Anthony, it seems weird also to always bring it back to Roswell, especially since there's some really bad Roswell baggage there to begin with, talking about the Roswell slides. So, I mean, I would have left out the Roswell comparison altogether, but that's just me. But yeah, I, I think the whole thing seems silly and it doesn't do anybody any favors to go down that line of thinking. Anytime you have to start connecting dots, I think that's a red flag already because you're going to have to make assumptions and assumptions can be wrong. So, I mean, that's just sort of a dangerous tack to take. And, you know, and again, I know professional journalists kind of, you know, they get that and they're careful with that. But, and the other thing I would just say is I would always defer to John when it came to FOIA requests and the wording, because that is literally some, it's a game that's played, you know, it's wordsmithing and Uh it's, it's all this stuff. And like in John's video, I thought he was really good about, you know, kind of explaining that little bit of a game that goes on with the wording. And, you know, you have to understand it, but that only comes with experience. You know, like he was identifying things where, you know, the, the, their response is usually cut and paste and, you know, certain phrases and words are actually a clue to something else. And if you don't know that, and, you know, I'm not criticizing Anthony on that part, but, you know, it, it always has to be interpreted what you get back in a FOIA and you know you that interpretation correct interpretation has to come from experience as well so I know I just thought this was one of those scenarios where boy it would have been wise to tread a little more carefully and, and let this thing organically grow and not you know bust out of the gate with that whole sensationalistic type type presentation 
That's all. I thought you were going to go into the assume makes an ass out of you and me uh, route there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like cliches, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're certainly not getting away from discussion and speculation about UFO materials. That's uh, a hot issue right now, and it's going to continue to be, especially throughout this year. Um, no question about that. And, you know, we heard more of that this month. Um, one of our favorite people, Robert Bigelow, has been popping up in headlines this month because he's been promoting his latest effort focused on exploring the unknown, and that is this time being consciousness and surviving death. And of course, Bigelow has a long and legendary career investigating and even facilitating the research of various paranormal phenomena. So naturally, in recent interviews, um, Robert Bigelow's UFO research has come up, and you probably remember the notable New York Times article from December 16th, 19, or 2017, um, that revealed the Pentagon's UFO program, ATIP, and also described buildings being modified at Bigelow Aerospace to house materials from recovered UFOs. But now we're getting clarification from Bigelow himself about this housing UFO material thing. Um, in recent interviews with investigative journalist George Knapp, Bigelow explains that they never had any UFO material. And, you know, Bigelow was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast as well. And, you know, again, saying that never had any material. So this is all, you know, kind of coming back around to where I think a lot of people were under the assumption that Robert Bigelow and all of his decades of, of researching this subject, you know, had all this recovered UFO material and people have been operating under that assumption with everything that OSAP did and ATIP and to the Stars Academy, you know, all of this talk about UFO material. But then now it's coming out that a lot of the sources of, you know, people's expectations or assumptions, they're saying don't have any. So what do you guys think about that? First off, it drives me crazy that when these are things that have been going around for a long time, that Bigelow or someone else hasn't gone on the record of saying, hey, I was misquoted or, um, you know, Louis El uh, Elizondo as well. Like, this was taken out of context and everyone needs to understand that it was in preparation for, not that we actually have these materials in existence. And, you know... the. Uh, it kind of skirts the line where I think, uh, was Bigelow involved in the piece that was at the Atomic Testing Museum, the George Knapp um, yeah. recovered metal from um, uh, the, the Height 411 case um, yeah. back in the day. So technically, there's some leeway of like, maybe he does have some material that has been studied scientifically. Um but but yes, that it blew up in such a way that we thought that there were a lot more um, background to this and in a whole warehouse, basically, it sounded like, that was storing these extraterrestrial space metals. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I really think that when these stories come out or, or these research pieces that people have to do the due diligence of, of saying... This was not right. And we saw this with the Israeli prime minister as well, where the, that was, wasn't necessarily a misquote. It was a mistranslation. Uh, but that story blew up in such a way that it was, it was so completely out of context. And I think that's a similar thing that's what's happening here. So, 
Yeah, as we know, we usually get these big buildups of like, oh my gosh, all this cool stuff is happening, and then we get taken back down to to reality a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing I would add is, you know, why? Well, I was disappointed to hear Bigelow say that. Um, I think he definitely has a future in storage. I mean, he was storing Bob Lazar's furniture. He was going to be storing these UFO materials. <laughs> so I think he's got a future in that. But um, I think more importantly. Um, Jacques Vallée, his new book coming out, um, is going to be talking all about the materials that he studied with uh, Gary Nolan. So, you know, while we kind of shy away from Bigelow and everything he did, I think we have something to look forward to in terms of materials in the study of them with Vallée. So, um, if anything, I think the future looks bright when it comes to studying materials, for sure. Yeah, and I would just say, I'm still... You, you guys may may think differently, but I'm still skeptical that any of this debris is from a UFO. I mean, there's no provenance of that. There's no one claiming on this date and this location and time and this crash. This is no that it's all allegedly from a UFO. Who, where did they get it? You know, like the piece from Linda Moulton Howe. You know. Mm-hmm. She that that was a piece someone gave to her that said it was from a UFO, right? And then it got passed on, and you know, well, how do how do we know that? It, yeah. I mean, as far as I know, the government's not saying these are from a UFO. It's articles are written to suggest that, but you know, show me the proof first. I don't care what you decide what it is or isn't. With no provenance, you can't prove that came from a UFO. Yeah. I mean, really, I sorry, I don't mean to go off on that, but even in that original article that's saying he had materials, well, you know, it's easy to say, but prove it. Yeah. You know, so I don't even I don't even know if we have any and if yeah. you don't have a material from a crashed UFO, then maybe you don't have crashed UFOs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I, it's, I mean again so well, I, I struggle with that whole thing anyway. Bring John Greenwald back back up. Um we already talked about him, but again, he did a, a really good job of reaching out to people involved with this specific story, you know, talking to Leslie Kane with Ralph Blumenthal, two of the authors of that New York Times story where the modifications of buildings was mentioned and you know, there's some conflicting comments there, too, where Leslie says that, you know, she was convinced that, you know, that was was taking place. Um, but Lou Elizondo said, you know, there never was any material. And, you know, that was all for OSAP anyway. And he wasn't part of OSAP. It was a tip. Um, and, you know, he, Lou was a big source for that New York Times story. So that's where a lot of the information came from. So that's confusing. But Rob Blumenthal, you know, is firmly behind the the idea that there was and is UFO material being researched and studied. Um, but again, uh, John reached out to Hal Putoff and Hal said, no, that's right. There wasn't material. So, you know, all these key players saying there wasn't material but you bring up a, a good point, Shane, and that is, you know, the the arts parts, the the Linda Moulton Howe uh, materials that we know have been tested. Maureen, you brought up the material that George Knapp had that he brought from Russia that he also said he gave some to Robert Bigelow. So 
and Jacques Vallée has these materials and Frank Kimbler has these materials and Chuck Wade has materials and all sorts of people have materials. And Maureen, you and I especially uh, became infinite, intimately familiar with that working at Open Minds because having an an office, a business that existed existed solely for the purpose of researching UFOs and extraterrestrials um, and a, a storefront office, we had countless people who would either make appointments or just randomly show up to the office and want to talk to us about their materials that they were in possession of and show us those materials. And to your point, Shane, this is, this is the provenance of, I would say, 100% of alleged UFO material. It's people coming and saying, I have this material from a UFO. And some have pretty elaborate stories about how they shot down UFOs. So they know that was uh, the one I tested on when I was uh, doing the uncovering aliens project or so a lot. Yeah. 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 I think uh, allegedly shot off a UFO and we took it to, to a lab to have it tested as well. But yeah, but a lot of these are just claims by people yeah. who say, yes, I know it's from a UFO because I saw it and it was dropping parts or whatever. So they bring it to, to people and they, they tell the, this incredible story. And for whatever reason, those people buy into it or don't bother to do any other investigation. And they think, wow, we've got some, some unearthly material here. And that's where all this stuff starts. And so you have people like, like Eric Davis and all these people who were involved in some of the acquisition and testing of some of this material. We know, too, the Stars Academy was doing that, too, going around to some of these people who made these claims of having said material. And so they acquire that and they store it and they test it. But aside from, you know, the claims that are made by people who deliver this material, that's all they have to work with. You know, and then they can do the testing that we've all seen done many times with different metallurgy testing. Um, You know, they can tell that there are some interesting isotopes here or some indication that it might have been manufactured in a zero gravity environment. But, you know, aside from those things, (laughs) there is no provenance. I mean, you you can't prove that any of these materials are from a a UFO and talking about modifying buildings to house ufos that's the illusion or assumption that's created this narrative that they're full flying saucers or giant pieces of extraterrestrial spacecraft that are being collected and stored but when it comes down to it they're talking about these little pieces of metal that you know some you can barely pick up with tweezers i mean that's the ufo material that's being tested and is generating you know some interest because they do display some interesting properties some of this material very very little of this material, but there is material that is fantastic and needs additional testing and studying and could potentially be from a flying saucer. But that's what we're working with. It's not warehouses full of build or full of flying saucers. That you know of. That we know of. That's a very good point, Maureen. Very good point. Well, you know, and there is a lot of talk about you know, the world taking a new interest in UFOs and how countries around the world are starting to take this seriously. Well, we all know that many countries have for decades and decades taking this quite seriously. But Nicaragua was a country that was making headlines this month for this strange and unexpected interest in getting into the extraterrestrial game. So you want to talk about that, Maureen? Sure. And, and, and we'll keep this brief. And again, like Jason mentioned, there are so many countries around the world that, that actually do have established um, 
specific agencies for, for researching unknown phenomena and or space activity. Um, so Nicaragua made a lot of headlines because uh, their president, Daniel Ortega, put forward this this uh, ministry, basically. They are referring it to the National Ministry for Extraterrestrial Space Affairs, the moon, and other celestial bodies. So, uh, A, quite a mouthful of a title, but um, mm-hmm. uh, it passed almost unanimously, 76 out of 92 members, which are mostly uh, from the Sandinista uh, party, which is the president's party. Um, so that's kind of a little, you know, how that swings sometimes. Yeah. But the reason why this is kind of interesting is because Nicaragua is facing uh, a lot of hurdles with even keeping their their citizens fed Um and putting forth money into space affairs where they don't even have the scientific uh, resources or technical backgrounds to jump into. I don't want to say like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be forming a space uh, committee because I believe that everyone should have the opportunity to jump into the space game. However, uh, take care of your residents first probably. And and it's facing a lot of backlash within its own country. Um, they haven't had a lot of information about what the uh, the ministry is actually going to do. They report that it will promote the development of space activities with the aim of broadening the country's capacities in the fields of education, education, industry, science, and technology. So uh, that's a pretty broad statement. Um, and we'll see what they do with it. But again, this is kind of one of those things where it seems like you're just throwing money into a, a garbage disposal, and there's a lot of other problems that could be addressed right now. Um, it's very political heavy and uh, controversial. So I don't know. Again, like I said, I don't want to discourage anybody from jumping in the space game, but it seems like it's kind of a, a wasted effort here. What do you guys think? They don't even have a space program. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> right. Yes, maybe this is to help them establish a space program, and I, I understand that. But you have a country that doesn't even have a space program. They're not players in the space game. And while I understand the desire to get into that game, their country, like you said, is dealing with a lot of other things that seem a little more important than getting involved in space. Um, even their own military is like questioning it, saying, look, we can't, how is this going to happen? Yeah, and because, <laughs> the money to do because this? it is is under the leadership of the Nicaraguan uh, army. So, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I will... The, the dilemma we run into with that, too, is here in America with the the UAP task force, the Pentagon thing. I mean, recently, George Knapp discovered that, uh, and I think we kind of knew this going into it, too, like, there's no budget for this thing. And even if there were, people like Luis Elizondo have come forward and said, this task force here in America was kind of built to to fail from the beginning. Like, we're not giving them enough time to look at the data, the material, and there's like no money attached. And he's even said here in America, we have much more important things to worry about. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, there's political strife here in America, as there always is. Um, and we're dealing with a lot of issues. So it's understandable why somewhere like Nicaragua, or even here in America, why, like, 
finding out what UFOs are or aren't isn't a priority right now. And yet in uh, that angers me too. Cause I'm like, why now? Why does all this have to be happening now in the middle of all this other stuff? Or was it meant to be that way? So I, yeah, that's, that's what I kind of get the feeling. It's kind of like a, a look at us. We're here. Uh, we're doing something weird. Uh, pay attention to us. I mean, Nicaragua hasn't had any vaccines sent to them yet. Um, so you're looking at, like you said, all these major things happening in a pandemic. And, and this is so off the wall that you know that right now space and extraterrestrial news is, is receiving so much attention that it's, it's like, don't forget about us. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I sort of think this is something that will dissolve and go away, uh, especially because I think the current president, they're, they're going to have a, an election coming up. So who knows if this administration and the, the crazy extraterrestrial program is, is going to survive. But uh, uh, something else that, uh, you know, I love, I love, love, love stories about uh, pilots and UFOs, especially when we're talking about commercial airlines and UFO encounters. And we certainly had one of those this month. Um, Ryan, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is exciting. You know, we've been looking at the same damn three UFO videos for the past few years now. Um, it's good to get another prominent case out there. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to read this here. On Sunday, February 21st, around 1 p.m., American Airlines Flight 2292 was en route from Kentucky to Phoenix. Arizona, and while they were flying over New Mexico, something whizzed past the passenger flight and caught the pilot's attention, and he immediately called the towers in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to report it, and there's actually a 15-second audio clip that's been made public of the initial report of what the pilots saw. have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us that, I hate to say this looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast that went right over the top of them. Yeah, so this audio was actually obtained by an airline radio enthusiast, Stephen Douglas, who captured the uh, the chatter and put it up on his blog. And American Airlines later confirmed that the audio was authentic and referred all further questions to the FBI, which I found pretty interesting. This clearly is a serious matter um, if it's going to the FBI. And um, let's see. the They said, quote, following a debrief with our flight crew and additional information received, we can confirm this radio transmission came from an American Airlines flight on February 21st. Um, so then American Airlines said in a statement that, quote, for any additional questions on this, we encourage you to reach out to the FBI. So I know... For a fact, John Greenwald, um, uh, David Marler, who lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, where this happened, uh, they both have filed FOIA requests. Um, I have as well. I'm pretty sure they're going to get stuff on it because I don't really know what I'm doing with those things. I just say, government, give me pilot UFO stuffs, and I don't really know what I'm doing. So I'm sure we'll get some stuff for them. But um, this is this kind of stays in line with this trend we're seeing with pilots. I mean, there was the Ireland case in um, 2018, I think. Um, there was the Northern California and Oregon case where the jets were scrambled. Uh, where else? There were there were other ones as well. Um, Phoenix. Also Arizona on the border of Phoenix and New Mexico, yep. yeah. Yep. So this just yeah, keeps going down 20s, the line of pilots are seeing things. Mm -hmm. 2018. Yeah. So um, I think it's exciting. Supposedly, exact the pilot... <clears throat> 
the pilot is going to come forward and talk about it. I've heard from several sources, um, which surprises me because usually the airlines keep a tight lip on that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I think, it, again, it's a developing case, and hopefully we'll get more audio data uh, in the coming weeks or months from someone like a Greenwald or David Marler. Yeah, like and Greenwald. I suspect... Like a Greenwald. Like a Greenwald. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, fortunately, yeah, uh, Tyler Rogaway from, from The Drive in the War Zone um, is on top of this, and he's very good at these types of cases. He knows aviation very well, yep. um, and he's shown to be very good at obtaining uh, FAA, FAA audio, and that will be valuable to have the various types of communication that occur, not just from the pilot to the ground, but like in the other cases, like the Oregon case you mentioned, you know, where we hear communication from the ground, um, you know, as they're radioing around trying to get more clarification on things and, and trying to figure out what the procedures are to deal with this type of thing. It's fascinating. But something else that's also fascinating to watch unfold when we see stories like this come out is there's a whole lot of assumption that starts taking place instead of waiting for information and confirmation to take place. There's a lot of assumption and, and uh, something specifically I saw with this case was a lot of assumption that this was a near miss case. And mm -hmm. at this point, we don't have anything to indicate that this was a near miss. You know, the pilot didn't say something almost hit us or something barely missed us. He says that it went over the top of them very fast. That's all we know. We don't know how close it was to the aircraft. We don't know if the pilot thought they were in danger. He was just, from the audio, he was just inquiring if there was something else in the sky because obviously they didn't see it on their scopes. So we don't know that this was a near-miss case or anybody was in danger. But we do have this unknown that seemingly nobody, nobody knew was in the sky. Um, but then again, we don't know what this FBI angle is. Because that's yeah. something we saw right away was check with the FBI. But we know from the request that was given for this UAP report by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence that the FBI is one of the sources that they request the data from for that report. And so I suspect what we're seeing here is that the FBI is probably in a normal role of dealing with these types of scenarios because we know that our FAA um, has really not been the ones involved in near misses or investigating this type of stuff, which is completely bizarre to me. I don't get that. But that seems to have always been the case. So I'm suspecting the FBI probably has been assigned the role of something like the UK's Air Prox Board, where they are responsible for investigating this type of, of air mystery, air incident, whatever you want to call it. It's probably the purview of the FBI in our country at this time because the FAA seems ill-equipped to do that. Yeah. I, I should add too, Jason. Oh, I'm sorry, Maureen. Oh, no, no, you go. Oh, I was just going to add, I completely forgot to mention this. I mean, you know, the guy who originally obtained the audio, he, he did say... Because the big the big question is, was this a missile of some sort? Um, they said the way it moved and the shape was cylindrical and this, that. Um, the guy who got the audio says they don't, the military doesn't test things on Sundays when this occurred. So that kind of um, negates that. And then even so far as Tyler Rogaway talked to someone at White Sands Missile Range, the closest range that would have been near there. And their spokesperson said, we have no idea what it could have been or if anything similar has been cited in that area before. It was not something of ours. 
So, I mean, again, yeah, that no wonder that the FBI is now involved in this. If the closest military range says, no, nah, it wasn't us. So, yeah, sorry. I just, I, I should have added that. This definitely was not a missile as far as we know. Yeah, and, and I was about to say the, well, the I, same point, basically, Ryan. And, and you have to imagine as a pilot how terrifying that would be if you think yeah. that there's a, a missile uh, ahead of you that you had no idea was, was being shot. I mean, that's, there's a lot of terrifying uh, ramifications that can go through yeah. your head at that point. Um, right. and, and also the fact that now we have this reported unknown object that is similar in um, sort of a description to the Tic Tac UFO video as well. Um, so I'm sure, mm -hmm. and I don't want to read between the lines or anything here, but you know, you have <laughs> just the white uh, cylindrical objects that are being spotted lately. Either, yes, it, it's some sort of internal uh, black budget project. Is it another country testing over us or doing something weird observations? Or is this the new flying saucer from some sort of extraterrestrial civilization? It's a lot to think about, but uh, it's, it's definitely a, a pattern, I think, we're seeing mm -hmm. here. Absolutely. And also, let's not discount the possibility, or not the possibility, but the reality that even people who are, uh, you know, high quality observers like pilots, they do make mistakes. Pilots do make mistakes. We know that they're humans. They're not superhumans. They are pretty super, but they're still humans and they are fallible. And even when you see something in the sky that you've seen a million times before, there are always conditions when that same thing you've seen a thousand times before can appear differently than you've ever seen it because of the time of day, because of the atmospheric conditions. Lots of things are at play, especially in the sky where all sorts of things are going on and change all the time. So we can't discount that this is something mundane and could potentially be just another plane. Um, you know, we've seen things at Skinwalker Ranch and other places all over the country where there are conventional aircraft that for some reason or another aren't able to be tracked by radar. Um, this happens. So again, we have a lot to assume with this case. And, you know, people like Mick West and others even pointed out that several minutes before this call came in, there was a Learjet that, that went over that, that particular plane. We don't know when this pilot decided to call it in, how soon before, after, or immediately that call was made. They could have waited nine minutes. They could have been talking to each other. Huh, do we call this in? Are we going to seem weird? Are we going to lose our jobs? Maybe we shouldn't talk about seeing a UFO. You know, we don't know if any of that happened. We're operating with assumption. We just have a short audio clip that says something went over us, and I hate to say it, it looked like a cruise missile. That's all we have to work with. We're guaranteed to get more information about this because it's so high profile at this point, and we've got a lot of great researchers looking into it. So we're going to get more audio. We're going to get more data to work with, and I am excited about that. And yeah, you're right. Uh, a Learjet can look yeah, like a, just, a shooting missile. <laughs> however, just one point I would make. If we are to believe the pilot's testimony, and he saw a cylindrical object fly over them, and it did not appear on radar, radar that precludes it being a missile or a rocket or an airplane. See what I'm saying? 
no rate the radar's picking up his plane this thing's a thousand feet above him and it doesn't pick that up that's curious very curious to my knowledge there's no such thing as a stealth missile so like you were saying jason did he really see what he thought he saw you know was there really something there wasn't on radar but on the other hand if you believe him there was something there that didn't appear on radar I mean, it's quite a little mystery right now, and we do need to wait for I have no doubt he saw something. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, I'm excited. I love these cases, and again, I love having confidence yeah. in the people I know who are chasing this story and the potential for you know real evidence, real real support, supporting information to go along with the story and give us more clarity into what actually took place. That's always exciting because as we know with most UFO stories, you hear the initial report and that's all you're going to get. There's not going to be a follow-up. There's not going to be any additional information. Well, citizens, that's going to do it for this episode. You can always find more episodes of Unknown on all the major podcast platforms. And you can always find the show and our other shows at RoguePlanet.tv because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all the strange. Thanks again for hanging out today. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm Marie Nelsberry. I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Shane Hurt. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with the cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as the focus of your quest, even if the truth conflicts with your opinions. And, of course, stay strange. (laughs) 